Welcome to the HR Happy Hour Show. My name's Steve Bowes. I'm with Trish McFarland. Trish, I'm kind of an art fan, an art aficionado, if you will. Okay. I like going to art museums. I've uh, been lucky enough, I think as you have as well, to visit some of the best art museums in the world uh, over the years. So here is my question, Trish. Who okay. would you say is your favorite artist? That is such a great question. Thank you. I worked My, very hard on that question this morning. I love that you stumped me every time. It's like I'm never ready for these questions. So I am a huge uh, Rembrandt fan. Ooh. I mean, if it was, you know, uh, if it's if it's an artist that you know is more well known, um, mm -hmm. I don't know. Just something about it. I I, I love his just his portraits and. Um, the way he did things. It's all very dark. Maybe that's it. It's, it's, yeah. so, it's so different from what a lot of people, but you know, I, I also like Monet too. So really, that's, that's different. kind of the opposite side of the spectrum. It there. really is. It really yeah. is. But I like, I, you know what? I think I like Rembrandt because it reminds me of photography that I'm really into um, over these last say 10 or 15 years. And I really love people who can take uh, photographs, uh, whether they're black and white or even in color, but of just extremely close-ups of people's faces as they're as they're aging i love the sort of the lines and the wrinkles and the the life lived and i feel like when i look at rembrandt um paintings i get a little bit of that like that's what he was kind of capturing so well, there you go All that's right. what's intriguing to me kind of the what you can sort of imagine that person's life is like by just sort of looking at the um the wrinkles and everything the character that they have what about you? What's, what's your favorite? Who's your favorite artist? Uh, Rembrandt is good. And I will just say, I really enjoyed last time I was in Amsterdam going to the, I think it's called the Rijksmuseum maybe, which, where all the big Rembrandts are, the famous, giant famous ones. And uh, that is a really incredible place if, if you'll ever get a chance to go, folks who are listening to when we can travel again. But um, I lean a little bit more towards American modern art probably, if, if oh. I want to pick a few favorites. And, and sort of pop art even, but Rothko maybe might be right up there for me. Mark Rothko and, and Jasper Johns I love. Uh, okay. Even some of the Lichtenstein stuff. I've got a couple of, uh, of each of those uh, prints uh, around here in different parts, of the, parts of, the, of the HQ. So probably those would be the ones I'd lean towards, but uh, can't go mm -hmm. wrong with Rembrandt either. So that is a, a fantastic answer. Trish, we have a great show today. We are going to talk about uh, kind of the next phase of, of the pandemic, if you will, the return to work uh, and right. how organizations are going to get uh, prepared and planned for and execute successful and safe return to work uh, programs. Our guest today to help us uh, navigate through that is Rebecca Ray uh, from the conference board. Rebecca Ray, PhD, is Executive Vice President, Human Capital at the conference board and is responsible for member engagement and the quality of all human capital offerings, including research, peer learning networks, councils, digital media, conferences, and events. She is formerly an award-winning practitioner for several Fortune 500 companies, and Rebecca contributes to Forbes and is often featured in business and trade media. Rebecca, welcome to the HR Happy Hour Show. How are you? Uh, I'm very well, Steve. Thank you so much. I appreciate that you and Trish have uh, invited me to join you. And uh, so I'm, I'm very much looking forward to the conversation. 
that is great. And we, we prepped you by saying we would not ask you a question you did not know the answer to. But I am going to ask you the artist question since we <laughs> threw it out there for Trish. Do you have a favorite artist, Rebecca? I, I do. Um, I know I've had the, the good fortune to see some things um, over time. I've had the privilege of traveling and, and trying to take advantage of some of the world's, you know, um, cultural moments. But I, I love John Singer Sargent. Ah, and nice. I, I, it's just something. It's just something about him. He's uh, he's been able to capture just the the person, but in a way that you feel as though you know something about them. Similar to what Trish was saying about you know the lines in a face and a life lived. Mm -hmm. um, but there's something very striking. Either it's Madame X, or it's Ellen Terry as Lady Macbeth, or it's Edwin mm -hmm. Booth, or you know just these just they they come alive for me in a way that that many other portrait uh, portrait paintings don't. Yeah, that's a really good one. Uh, and I forgot to mention this when we were doing our little art conversation, Trish. I, I planned to and I forgot. Uh, I love the Google Arts and Culture app. I don't know if you've uh, downloaded that one to your phone, but it's a really cool app, just a lot of museum tours, virtual tours. And the one one thing they added recently, which is kind of fun for people who like the the, the taking pictures and the filters and such, you can take any photo on your phone and apply like famous artist style filters to the photo, oh, if that makes sense. Fun. So, so unlike like whatever, a normal Instagram filter that might make everything look kind of gray or washed out or whatever they, those things do, you can apply the Monet filter or the Edward Munch filter or the Lichtenstein filter onto your, um, Van Gogh is on there too, I think. And it's pretty cool. So uh, I would check oh, out the like Arts and Culture app and I kind of get lost in that app every so often. So, um, okay. Rebecca, we're talking about returning back to work and um, helping organizations get ready for this. And some of it's starting now and, and it's gonna be going on for the next few months. And maybe we can just start with um, when you're thinking about it, if it were you, right? Leading an HR team, leading an organization, trying to bring people back into a workplace. And I know it may, may differ depending on the type of workplace and where you are in the country, et cetera. But I mean, where would you start? Like, what would be some of the things you would want to do right away before you even began the process of kind of reopening a workplace and, and returning folks back to work? Sure. Well, you know, I have the privilege of working with a lot of the world's great companies, and I spend a good portion of my day, as I'm sure you folks do as well, you know, talking to heads of HR or other senior leaders about their, their thoughts and their concerns and their plans for returning to work. And I'll just preface this by saying for most people, they're not returning to work as much as they are returning to a workplace perhaps. So the two questions you'd have to ask right away uh, would be around, you know, is that even desirable and or necessary? And mm -hmm. if the answer is yes, then it's a matter of, you know, how do you balance employee safety with all the other concerns that are going on? So what we've done at the conference board is trying to uh, share what we were starting to do for individual uh, executives who'd ask us for some help in a particular area and we decided you know what these are the same kinds of questions everybody probably has or should be thinking about and uh, so we started to share all of that and so we do have a, a COVID-19 hub on the conference board uh, website and there is also a special section there for human capital in particular and you know the first part of that was really around curating resources the next part was around uh, taking a look at what our best guess is to the things you should be thinking about right now. And there was another phase a few weeks ago, we posted what questions we thought you should be asking. It's called Through a Glass Darkly. And there's also a downloadable customized planner 
uh, that folks can uh, take a look at. And it's really, it, it's about the questions. I, I don't have any pretensions about um, having the answers. I think only uh, the HR leaders and their colleagues across an enterprise can make those choices and those decisions. So my goal was to try to help people be thoughtful in the questions that they should be asking. And, and now we're, we're moving beyond that into, okay, you're, you're headed back into some kind of next phase here, because I really do think we're, we're kind of at the end of the beginning. And now it's about resetting and, and reimagining and you know, use whatever term that's trendy that you like, the new, the next, the next normal, the new normal, the reimagined world, <laughs> whatever, whatever it is you feel most comfortable with. But, but surely around the world, we are, we are different. And the question then becomes, is a return to normalcy even something you should want? You know, certainly there's going to be impacts that are felt differently. It's like the, in the old days, they used to say, you know, the future has arrived. It's just not equally distributed. Mm -hmm. The impact of COVID-19 is not evenly distributed. And so there are some industries certainly that are decimated. And there are some that will recover and rebound. And there are some that will thrive in this particular scenario. But for a lot of people thinking that they're going to return to what they had before is simply not, it's not even necessary, nor is it desired. You can see several of the tech companies, for example, uh, announcing that their employees will work through pretty much um, uh, remotely through the end of the year, if not beyond. There are many organizations that are beginning to realize that working remotely has not had the decline in productivity, attrition, or excuse me, or retention rather, or engagement uh, that some feared. And that's even against a backdrop where this is not just regular remote working. This is remote working against a backdrop of the absence of childcare in many cases, or elder care, or an infrastructure for connectivity that isn't prepared for the drain uh, that it takes to have you know, a couple of working adults perhaps, and several kids trying to keep up with lessons. Uh, so you know, those are stresses, and then you add to that the financial impact that this has had for many. Some are continuing to work even after pay cuts or furloughs, not furloughs particularly, but um, you know, in and around furloughs, pay cuts or the, the loss of, of hours or the loss of bonuses or whatever, the, to whatever extent some of those choices might have been made. But people are continuing in many cases to just soldier on. And, and I say this at the same time that we're, we're talking about remote work. And I sit here with the privilege of being able to work remotely because I don't have to make a choice between my health and safety and the ability to earn a living to feed my family. So you know, for a, lot of, for a lot of people, this pendulum will swing back and where we might have had maybe 10 to 25, 30% perhaps of those who could work remotely actually working remotely before the pandemic hit. Um, now it's perhaps 90, 95%, it depends, and it's all over the map, it depends on which industry and where you are and all that. Uh, but I think eventually we'll get to about a 50-50 split uh, on average, but it's gonna be very different depending on the industry you're in or you know, your thoughts about customer service or the ways in which we have to support stakeholders. Mm -hmm. It also depends too. I mean, there's some places like New York City, you know, still dealing with, with lockdown in many cases. And you, know, you don't have employees who are comfortable coming into the workplace despite the company's protestations around cleansing and social distancing and workarounds. And, I think it's going to look very different for a long time. And I, I haven't spoken to a senior leader yet 
who's in a rush to get back to, let's say, all, all employees back in the workplace. They see this as phased, they see this as partial, they see this as very thoughtful because all of the efforts that they may be able to drive internally are going to be against a backdrop of what communities or local governments or state governments will allow you to do. And you also have to instill in workers the ability to trust that it is okay, not just the workplace, but all the commute process. So if you can't get people comfortable taking mass transit to get to work, it really doesn't matter how clean or how thoughtful or how safe the workplace is. So I, I'll just, I'll stop here. It, mm -hmm. It's just uh, very, very different for everyone. And I think no one can make those decisions except the organizations and starting by asking the right questions about what's even desired and then how you build to that point. But I, I, I think today's opening, at least partial opening of the New York Stock Exchange is a fairly decent bellwether. You know, they have about a quarter of the uh, uh, brokers on the floor uh, and they have social distancing, they have masks, people have to sign a disclaimer, there are temperature checks, although, you know, we all understand the limitations of temperature checks for those who are asymptomatic yet, you know, exposed to, to COVID-19. So I, I think, you know, there's a lot to be said for the psychological impact of returning to some kind of normalcy but I don't know anyone who's in a rush to do it in anything other than a very thoughtful, measured, staggered way. You know, I love, I love the way that you're approaching it as a turn, return to workplace versus a return to work. I hadn't heard anyone phrase it like that. And I think that that's so valuable to think about, about it in that way and about reimagining the work. Because what we are seeing is that much of what we do can be done remote. You know, we've, we've sort of pushed for the last 10 or 20 years about disruption and business transformation and HR transformation. And we never really had any, any impetus for that to actually happen. And so even though this is a very negative thing to have sort of forced us all into this situation, I do think that, you know, you're right. There are some companies who will thrive from this, right? It, it doesn't mean that going back to what we all considered normal was a good thing. We had, if you know, even six months ago, if you talk to HR leaders or, or CEOs even, um, they, they would be talking about people who are disengaged and people who can't seem to balance work and life and um, all those things. And I wonder, have you either talked to HR leaders or business leaders or, um, or maybe your own, just your own opinion um, based on the way that you're working and living? Are we finding that this is maybe the closest that people are having to sort of work-life balance because it's all in one place, all together? Um, I don't know. I'd be interested in what your thoughts are there. Yeah, I, I'd hate to think that remote working would look like this in perpetuity, right? So I, I will say that I was a little surprised by the number of companies who were caught a little flat-footed on being able to flip the switch for those who could work remotely. Um, either folks did not have laptops, they, they weren't sure if people had actually a, a safe slash dedicated space in which to work, if they had uh, adequate bandwidth. You know, we're all fans of Zoom and, and whatnot, but you know, that assumes that the infrastructure that America has can support that. And also that people have the right kind of internet access that can support them participating. 
And then, you know, can they put four or five of their kids on there at the same time and another adult somewhere in the house, you know, trying to, you know, uh, share bandwidth. So, so I'm not sure, I'm not sure that that's quite, um, quite accurate in terms of, you know, what it looks like. But I, I'd hate to think that we're going to look at remote working against a backdrop, the absence of childcare or whatnot. I mean, because you've got people who are attempting to continue to work. And if they have a child, they are quite often now learning fourth grade math, which I've given up on. Let's be candid. I, I <laughs> not trying to, you know, tutor or support after the fourth grade. Um, but you also have people who have elder care, or you also have people who are perhaps living alone. And, you know, my concern particularly there, that the mental health issues everywhere. Um, but I think one of the things that, if there was a good thing that comes from this, uh, let's just say one of them might be the uh, attentiveness to the entire well-being of, an, of a worker. You know, we've got people, and I, and I hear, and I, I hear people talking uh, consistently across the board, no matter what organization it is, about their concern for people's well-being, particularly their mental health, which I have not heard in past crises. So I think it's partly the extension, you know, of, uh, of the time period here, but it's also, this cannot be the new normal. You have people who are alone and being isolated in a high rise in New York um, without perhaps the ability to connect with friends and family is tough. And so my hope is that, you know, in the, in the past we talked about, oh, well, productivity suffers when people work remotely. That's not exactly what we found. More, more often than not, productivity was as high. If we can be productive, even in this environment, imagine what it can be like when the rest of your life returns to normal, where you can go and get a haircut. I know I am at the outside edge of what hairspray can be expected to do. <laughs> just want to say that, and I'm so glad. I hear you, Rebecca. I hear this you. This is an audio, not a video. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, when you, when you people feel as though they don't have the basics, I mean, let's, let's be candid. Everyone starts out at you know Maslow's hierarchy of needs at the base camp level, right? Yes. If you if you don't know if you can trust your food and you can't get out because you, there's a a virus you don't really understand, and or you may not be able to fully uh, take advantage of you know the the headlines or research because sometimes it changes so rapidly and people are doing the best they can with incoming information. You, when you when you have that now you've got kids at home or an elderly parent or a spouse or a significant other that's you know, differently abled and needs care and can't get, I mean, it's just a variety of things that keeps employees at that base level. You got to fix those things. So my hope is that the pendulum swings back out. We get back to a sense of normalcy and particularly the infrastructure to support workers, whether that's through the organization or through communities or, or simply through, through uh, uh, you know, the economic environment, but that we get back to some sense of normalcy. And I can only imagine that the productivity will continue to remain high. That is, that is not to say that there aren't those, you know, certain instances where it's just not healthy for one particular individual or another to be remote. I think we are, you know, sort of herd animals. I think we will want to be together in some ways. And it's very different when you have leaders thinking about connectivity and engagement and leadership in a two-dimensional environment. And, you know, how do you build leaders who can be that effective leader in person and also be as effective when leading remotely? And how do you, how do you help that person, that leader, know how to bring people in and be engaged when 
some people are introverts or it's just not a comfortable medium for them or they're dealing with a variety of issues. You know, how do you get leaders to support everyone in that environment? And that's gonna to be tough. We're gonna to have to think about how we build culture or rebuild culture. You know, right now you have mostly people who already knew each other, perhaps worked in the same office together or knew each other and you know, a remote worker was sort of the, um, in the minority. Well, now that's the vast majority of us, but we had the advantage of knowing each other beforehand. Now, as we begin to make critical hires or we replace people through the natural attrition uh, that organizations have, how do we help them understand the culture that makes us as productive and as connected as we possibly can in a remote environment? So how do we onboard those people? How do we keep them connected? How do we train leaders and, and, and supervisors to help those people feel a part of the larger cloth? And that'll, that's one of the concerns that I think we need you know, as a, as a profession to take a look at. That and the fact that just about every HR process you know has to be re-examined and perhaps altered. Whether that's performance management, it's, uh, it's how you gauge productivity, it's how you set goals, it's how uh, you, you compensate. I mean, there's just an entire range of questions that I'm sure the legal challenges will help sort out eventually. But you know, how, do you, how do you walk now into the new ways to compensate people. And those who are on the front lines who might have had hazard pay during this, or those who come into the workplace versus those who don't, and those who are at risk and choose not to come back. I mean, how do you how do you make it a fair and equitable place while adapting to the needs of individuals? And if flexibility was your friend before, it's going to be your lifeline now. Yes, I, I agree with you. I, I would say too that Many of the things that you know you're talking about in terms of you know the altered uh, processes for things like performance and compensation and so forth, you know these are these are things that HR um, mostly has been preparing for all of our careers, right? We've always wanted to be able to have that more strategic uh, ability to sort of put different plans into place in our organizations. And so now we're going to be able to flex those muscles a little bit, you know, for all of the research and reading and studying that we've done over the years. Um, finally, some of that becomes more important. One, one note I've been taking notes sort of frantically as you were speaking, because I think it's, it's just all resonating with me. Um, in terms of productivity too, I think as you have employees who were not ever remote workers, now with as, as many as, like you said, up to 90% of the, you know, of the workforce doing some sort of a remote working situation um, in many industries, I think what we're seeing, though, is both professionally and personally, some of those less important activities or tasks have fallen to the wayside. And sometimes those were the very things that got in the way of being more productive or being more thoughtful. So again, you're right. I've I've had that, uh, that Maslow's hierarchy of needs discussion. I have twins that are 16 and, you know, we talked about that and um, they hadn't studied that yet in school. And I, I do think you're right. I think once we've, we're all, maybe not quite there yet, but we're all feeling like for the most part, we, we have, you know, some sort of a handle or, or mental capacity to consider our safety, our food supply, you know, other basic needs. To me, it is a little bit exciting to start reimagining how the work will actually get done and, and what are some of those processes that really just weren't needed. Um, and I, I, one question I want you to think about, because I know we need to, uh, to give a little mention to our sponsors here in just a moment, but 
one thing I've heard asked uh, by several people recently is, how does this impact the role of managers? Because a lot of people are now working without immediate oversight. And so will this mean that managers ultimately go away or have to be reimagined as well? So I'll let you ponder that for just a second. I do want to give a shout out to our to our two great sponsors who make this show possible. Um, the first is Paychex, who is one of the leading providers of HR and payroll, retirement and insurance solutions for businesses of all sizes. Paychex also hosts podcasts that uh, our audience might find interesting as well. The HR Leadership provides, uh, series provides insights around the latest trends in our profession, and it features a variety of expert guests and influencers, including Steve and me. Uh, the business series features conversations with business owners and paychecks experts around the issues of the day, including the challenges that businesses are facing during the current pandemic. And you can listen and subscribe at paychecks.com slash podcasts, or look for them on your favorite podcast platform. Our other sponsor is uh, WorkHuman, and they have just introduced something, Steve, that I think is really exciting. I'm still- yeah, this is pretty cool. Still waiting to see uh, how you use it, but they I, have, I don't think uh, I got my invite, by the way, in my email. I'm going to double check after okay, the show. Check, check your email because you definitely okay. should have. So they have introduced, it's called Mood Tracker, which is a free modern voice of the employee tool uh, built by their data scientists that are making it fast, easy, and actionable to get to the heart of your organizational issues. And you can learn more at workhuman.com slash mood tracker. So I've only tried it out, uh, you know, with you and with Karen. So obviously our sample size is, is too small uh, to be statistically significant. However, I do think it's really important that we, you know, actually not just see demos of things, but to the extent that we can give it a try, I'm always excited um, to get in and, and try the different solutions. So definitely, people should, should look into Mood Tracker, especially now with everyone being, you know, remote or just you know, again, to um, Rebecca's point about, you know, just making sure that people are, are staying mentally healthy as well as physically healthy mm -hmm. is very important right now. So, so uh, Rebecca, sort of back to you about the question on um, managers. I've heard quite a few HR people uh, sort of thinking about that and the way that people are now sort of having to manage themselves remotely as well. Um, have you given any thought to that or have you heard anyone speaking about what the role of managers might look like if, if only 50% of the, you know, the work goes back to an actual physical workplace? Yeah, sure. So, you know, um, I think if you looked at in the aggregate, 50% probably is where we'll land eventually. There are going to be a lot of places, particularly in the, in the tech space, where the vast majority of people are remote, right? Mm -hmm. So it, it requires, I think, somewhat different skills. And right now, leaders were probably consumed at the beginning of this anyway, in uh, being empathetic, in uh, being authentic, and in trying to be there for employees. And hopefully they got the message about you check on people before you check in about their projects, right? So you have people who are now trying to lead what in many cases is a larger team than could reasonably be expected for effectiveness. And we did that when we flattened organizations, you know, we got a lot of the um, supervisory levels in many organizations. And so you had a, a span of control that was fairly large. If your remote workers is a larger percentage of a team, 
I think it makes sense to start to look at the span of control for managers. And I use that in the broadest term, supervisor, you know, whatever they're officially called. And, you know, it, it requires more time from a leader to check in with his or her people. And so doing that with a very large team and really doing that in a quality way where you can actually have an understanding of not only productivity, but someone's, you know, sort of well-being, which is, which is part of it. And then also what you think might be the fraying of the culture if you're not careful. So I, I think there's going to be some conversations around span of control and in helping leaders to be more uh, vulnerable and authentic and available uh, for workers. And I say that knowing full well that many managers are not truly just managers. They're usually an individual contributor plus plus, right? So their workload is, is there also. Um, but I'm, I don't think that managers will ever fully go away because I don't think organizations can truly, can truly assess what the employee base is doing at a particular time. You have to have people who sort of that rolls up and folds up. So I think there'll always be some of that, but I think the way in which managers need to become servant leaders where they need to be there to support employees because the ones that will remain in the workplace are more likely to be even more critical in their roles because i think one thing that employees excuse me that employers will start to do is to take a look well do we really need that many people doing x or y and so the ones that you retain um, you'll probably have to compensate uh, pretty well and you'll also have to worry about making sure that you retain them because one thing you now do is if remote working becomes ubiquitous, you now have competitors looking at that same talent across the world, as opposed to within a tri-state commuting area, for example. So it's going to be a brave new world. Um, and I, I think we should be prepared for an awful lot of patience and trying and learning and redoing. Uh, but I'm encouraged because I think the HR community has never been more relevant or more important than it is right now. And so many leaders are just stepping up and being part of a larger conversation for their organization around business continuity and disaster and, uh, you know, continuity. And, and I think that that's a very, very good sign. It should have happened a long time ago, perhaps, but we're here in many cases right now. You know, Rebecca, thank you uh, for that. And, and uh, while you're, we're talking a lot about remote working and changing in processes and procedures and approaches to management and, and checking in on people, et cetera, with the continued, uh, continued increase in remote working and maybe permanent in many organizations. But the other side of the coin, I think, is super interesting as well. And one that I, I spend a lot of time thinking about because I'm always, I, at the top, I said I was a, an art uh, fan, an art lover as well. I'm also right. kind of a design geek too. And yep. workplace design is super interesting to me too. So there will be many, many organizations reopening, bringing people back to workplaces. That's already happening. It's many because they have to, right? That's their business, right? They're, they're, right. they're public facing. They, they need to do customer service in person retail or restaurants, you name it, all those places. But there are other places too. There are other types of work. Uh, Apple famously, right? Mm -hmm. Bringing people back into their workplace. Microsoft's doing the same too. So even the technical jobs or, or uh, white collar type jobs, et cetera, will be bringing people back. So, and I noticed in some of the resources that the conference board has made available, you do get into some of this stuff, right? About realigning workplaces, making them a little bit more safe, spacing of people, bringing in people on shifts, et cetera. I'd love for you to comment a little bit about just your thoughts on that and maybe some of the conversations you're having with corporate leaders who 
whether it's, you know, retail or distribution, warehouse, manufacturing, or even just offices, right? Bringing people back and what are some of the considerations that are, that are top of mind right now in, in that process? Sure. So again, you know, I don't claim to have any answers, but I can tell you some of the questions that uh, that people are, are are kind of being thoughtful about, and that's how can they reduce the amount of friction for workers, for customers, clients, if they're indeed you know on site. You know, what can you make uh, where there's low touch? How can you leverage technology so that you know? I think you know some folks are are working on apps that would tell you when elevator usage in a building is low. Mm -hmm. or when uh, they're or using it for contact tracing um, or, or for looking at the ability to get workers into a, into a, a workspace. Um, you know, I think there's a lot to be said for understanding your population in terms of their relative health and willingness to return to certain locations. And also in thinking through how you balance all of that to make sure that staffing needs are met. I mean, I think, it, uh, the, the way we've gone at um, workforce planning or strategic workforce planning, whichever term you like, you know, I think it's a whole new ball game and a whole new world. So I think in the workplace, you're going to see a lot fewer people at any given time. I think it'll be staggered. Um, there's likely to be people who are uh, almost always remote and some who will come in only occasionally. You have to think about, okay, we're not going to do the big town halls anymore. So how will we do that virtually and how will we make everyone feel as though they are involved even if they are physically in the office or the workspace or the floor or the plant um, or not and i think a lot of the work processes need to be rethought also there may be let's say um, workflow approvals that require you know routing something physically to someone now it all has to be done electronically you know, is there a way to streamline that? Can something be touched less? Can something have fewer points of contact? Um, and I, I think we're gonna have to just look at all of that. And that also assumes that people in a workplace will do as requested. Set aside the images we have from the Memorial Day weekend of people at the beach or other places of entertainment. And let's set aside the non-social distancing behavior that we saw. Let us assume that when they get into the workplace, they, they keep the distance, they understand that you know, meals will be delivered to them perhaps, um, they understand that they will have to have sanitation processes for common areas, there'll be structured times for breaks that will stagger. There may be you know, on the shop floor or on the carpeting color codes that tell you how to walk so you're not you know, in the same air. It's, it's plexiglass into lots of places. So, you know, all of that will require thoughtfulness, time, and money, and it will be a while before some companies are just physically or economically able to do some of those things. But I think workplace design is in a whole nother, a whole nother realm. I mean, you know, imagine now a few years ago, we were all excited about open floor plans. Okay, so now, now you have, you know, the ability for those germs to just spread like wildfire. So we're gonna to have to figure out, you know, how do we unwind some of that? What, what do we do? We take every third and fourth cubicle and put, you know, police caution tape over it. So the workplaces are gonna look kind of different and kind of funky for a little while till we figure it out. I'll be fascinated to see how new buildings get designed, you know, incorporating all of this. And I think uh, that's where the brave new world of innovation is gonna be. 
Yeah. One just comment for me, Rebecca, I thought about when you, you were, you were talking about some of the technological innovations uh, and it's Salesforce specifically. I do remember this yep. specifically. Trish, you know how like at Disney, you get the fast pass, right? And you can mm-hmm. show up for the uh, space mountain at a certain time, right? Mm-hmm. And, and cut the line more or less, right? Sure. So that's kind of what they're doing with their employees in one of their, high, I guess their main high rise uh, in San Francisco, which is uh, they kind of check in remotely or they check in from their house in the morning and answer a few questions, you know, sort of attesting that they're, you know, they're not sick and not showing any symptoms, et cetera. And then they receive a time that they're allowed to show up and get on the elevator to uh, ride oh, it up to whatever okay. floor they're going to because they want only two or three people in the elevator at a time as opposed That's to, right, right the typical San Francisco or New York City or Chicago business high rise that you know, everybody just cram, would cram into, right, right uh, to get up to work. And so, uh, yeah, that's just a small example, but kind of something that didn't exist uh, before two months ago. And now maybe that'll be just how we, how we ride elevators for, for maybe forever. I don't know, but at least for a while. Right. And it's not just employees. You have to also think about, you know, if you bring anyone into the office space or the, the shop floor or certainly retail spaces, you know, what are you going to do to require their, excuse me, what we will be requiring to make sure their safety is intact as well. Yeah. And, um, you know, we, we, I think that that's going to be, um, that's going to be a challenge, I think, because there's, there are things that you can control from an employee perspective and not necessarily that of others. So it's, we're going to spend a lot of time sorting all this. Yeah. Wow. There's so much to get into. I know we've been talking for a while. We could probably do another couple of hours on this. Maybe we need to like in another month or two, uh, just to see kind of where things are at and how things are. This is a long, this is a long conversation, Trish. I think that's just going to be, we're going to be having it in different forms probably for the rest of this year, I think. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it would be great to check in, you know, every couple months maybe and just see, see what we're all seeing changing because, you know, yeah. Yeah. I almost feel like Maybe the day-to-day change has, has slowed down a little bit. I was feeling at first like it was every day, you know, you just heard something new and new guidance. But it, now it feels like it's maybe every few days before, you know, something completely changes. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to track it. Yeah, great stuff. Rebecca, thank you so much for taking some time to join us today and, and share your thoughts and insights and some of the work that the conference board has been doing to help folks uh, navigate these uh, really uh, difficult and challenging uh, steps and, and kind of also, uh, and thank you for kind of your kind of inspirational message too, to the HR community, like the, about how this is really their time to, to step up and shine. Uh, I really do. I believe that as well. And I really appreciate you saying that too. Well, you, you're very kind, and I, uh, I'm happy to come back anytime. I hope people will take advantage of the resources of the conference board. We've made an awful lot of that public. Uh, so whether or not you're a member of the conference board, uh, we're happy to try to be helpful uh, during this pandemic. Uh, but I very much appreciate the work uh, that you and Trish are doing also uh, to highlight some, some really great players in the HR space and to help all of us get better. So thank you for the opportunity to be with you, and uh, it's just been a real pleasure. Thank you so much. It's wonderful to meet you. Yeah, great stuff, Thank Rebecca. And, that, and the website is conferenceboard.org. And we'll put that in the show notes as well. Uh, conferenceboard.org, really simple. And uh, thanks again to Rebecca. Uh, Trish, we must thank our sponsors one more time as well. Um, Work Human and uh, our friends at Paychecks, who I'm just finishing up a human resource executive column this morning. And I'm going to shout out uh, our friends at Paychecks for some of the great work they've been doing on, on COVID-19 support as well to their customers. But uh, many thanks to both of them one more time. Wonderful. Yes, they've, they've been doing a lot. Actually, both of those companies have. So it's very easy to 
you know, want to partner with them on things because they're both so proactive when it comes to really not even just helping their customers, but helping uh, our larger, a larger, you know, workplace community as well. Yeah, definitely. Um, okay, great. So that's it for today. Uh, for our guest, Rebecca Ray, for Trish McFarland, my name is Steve Bowes. Thank you so much for listening to the HR Happy Hour Show. Remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We will see you next time and bye for now.